current events, local, world news, and trending. Sunday morning, 9.30, March the 14th. Thank you for joining me. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, on this fine Sunday morning, March the 14th, as we roll our clocks forward, which is also known as spring forward. Nice, beautiful, sunny morning, a little bit chilly, but that's okay. There's no snow on the ground, which makes me feel pretty good that you don't have to go out and shovel that stuff or clean your car up. One more week and it will be officially springtime. Should make people feel a lot better, able to get outdoors. Go to the park, go for walks. Because today, you know, was a beautiful blue sky that I'm looking out my window. I'm going to be going out a little bit later. So, now yesterday, you know, despite um, some audio difficulties, that happens from time to time, I guess, um, I, I redid the show. Now, I had a listener on here, well, several listeners on here um, yesterday morning. And uh, one in particular, um, basically at the uh, end of uh, his text message, he says that overweight people count for 95% of all deaths due to COVID. Now, I totally disagree with that. I did disagree with that. I said, well, that's your opinion. So there's something that's called fact check. And you find the truth. So I looked it up. I did a little fact check. Fact check. Overweight people account for most COVID-19 deaths. More than a year into the pandemic, the healthcare and science communities have identified a number of risk factors that increase the likelihood of complications from COVID-19. Among them, old age, pre-existing illness, and being overweight or obese lead the pack in increasing a person's risk of hospitalizations and even death. 
a recent report from the World Obesity Federation unveiled new links between obesity and COVID-19 outcomes. The claim, hey, good morning. How are you this fine Sunday morning? I hope your weekend is going uh, really well for you. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. So like I was saying, um, yesterday morning uh, when I did my show, um, despite all the audio problems that I was, what was going on, and I had to redo the show again. So I don't like to miss a show. You know, something happens during that show, and if the audio wasn't really good, then, you know, I'm going to redo it. So I had uh, a few listeners on here yesterday morning, and uh, one listener, uh, basically at the end of his text message that he sent in, claiming that more, about 95% of all the deaths was due to obesity of COVID-19. And like I said before you came on the show, there's something that's called fact checks. And it's something that people should do more often. If you're not sure about something, then you fact check it. So I did. And I just wanted to have that clarity about that comment. Well, this is what this is what I found. So, with the COVID nineteen, and this 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 study was done um, by the uh, World Obesity Federation. So here's the claim. Shortly after the World Obesity Federation released its findings, this uh, person, uh, he's a conservative uh, firebrand Jack, went on a tweet spree remarking that studies have now shown that most of the virus deaths came from people who were overweight. The facts, there is no denying that obesity is a driving force between COVID-19 related mortality and other adverse outcomes, according to the Center Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention. In fact, it may triple a person's risk of hospitalization. The report released by the WF this week found more troubling news about COVID-19 in relation to weight. Analyzing data on obesity from from John Hopkins University and the World Health Organization Global Health Observatory, 2.2 million of the global's 2.5 million COVID-19 deaths reported in February occurred in countries where more than half the population is classified as overweight. Data from 
more than 160 countries shows a linear correlation between a nation's COVID-19 mortality and obesity rate, finding that no country with an obesity rate below 40% reported high death rates. For, its, for instance, in Vietnam, which has one of the lowest death rates, only about 18% of the population qualifies as overweight. In the United States, by contrast, has an obesity rate of about 67% and sits at second place in COVID-19 death rates overall at about 152 deaths per 100,000. But while the WOS report finds compelling evidence that countries with higher obesity levels report the most COVID-19 deaths, it does not say that the most global virus deaths occurred in people who were overweight. Rather than looking at the slice of the pie that overweight people make up an overall mortality, the study compares current obesity rates and COVID-19 death rates. The authors also acknowledge that a country's age structure, relative wealth and reporting capacity of um, all have an impact on COVID-19 cases. And the ruling false. Being overweight or obese is a leading cause of COVID-19 complications and, and mortality, but there are no numbers to indicate that the most COVID-related deaths occurred in this population overall. Yes, the United States has the um, next highest death rate at 152.49 deaths per 100,000. It has a 69% rate of the population is overweight. That's correct, right? So the report released by the WF found there were linear correlations between a country's COVID-19 mortality rate and the proportion of adults who are overweight, it did not break down the percentage of people globally who were overweight and also died from COVID-19. So it is not 95% of all deaths of obesity due to COVID-19. There's absolutely no ruling on that whatsoever. People have died from all ages of COVID-19. People in their 40s, people in their 30s, people in their 60s. Doesn't mean that they were obese. It doesn't mean they had underlying health issues. Healthy male and females have died from COVID-19. Here in Ontario, Canada, where I reside, not far from the city, a 19-year-old male with no underlying health condition 
contracted COVID-19 and died. Obesity can play a role and underlying conditions can play a role, but there is no statistics saying that 95% of all the deaths occur because they were obese. Not the case. But that was the person's opinion. And that's fine. But like myself, if I'm going to go after a story, I'm going to fact check it. Well, you know, I mean, even here in Canada, you know, um, obesity, um, it's not as high as the United States, but yeah, you know, you could say in that aspect, you know, put it in that way that the next pandemic is waiting to happen is, is the overweight population. You know, so yeah, that that's, you know, that's, that's more likely, uh, more than likely true, but I just wanted to, you know, um, clarify that statement, you know, because I, you know, after that show was over, I went back and I thought, okay, well, you know, let's just do a little bit of research on this, do some fact checking. So now today, March the 14th, here Sunday morning, Um, daylight savings time. We spring forward one hour. So I decided to say, well, okay, well, you know, how about a little bit of history of the daylight savings time? And when did daylight savings time start? The daylight savings time, which is used to save energy and make better use of daylight, it was first used in 1908 in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. And what is daylight savings time? It's a seasonal time change measures where clocks are set ahead of a standard time during part of the year, usually by one hour, as the daylight uh, saving time starts, the sun rises and sets later on the clock than the day before. So what was it getting dark last night around 6.30? So now 7.30 tonight, it was, it'll start getting dark. So it was first used in Canada in 1908. While Germany and Australia were the first countries to use daylight, uh, daylight savings time in 1916, it's a little known fact that a few hundred Canadians beat the German Empire by, by eight years. 
On July 1st, 1908, the residents of Port Arthur, Ontario, today is known as Thunder Bay, turned their clocks forward by one hour to start the world's first daylight savings time period. Other locations in Canada soon followed suit. On April 23, 1914, Regina in Saskatchewan implemented the daylight savings time. The cities of Winnipeg and Brandon and Manitoba did so on April 24, 1916. According to the April 3, 1916 edition of the Manitoba Free Press, Daylight savings time in Regina proved so popular that bylaw now brings it into effect automatically. Now, is this something that we still really need right now? Daylight savings time? Germany popularized it. However, the idea did not catch on globally until Germany introduced daylight savings time in 1916. The clocks in Germany's empire and its ally Austria were turned ahead by one hour on April 30th, 1916, two years into the First World War. The rationale was to minimize the use of artificial daylight to save fuel for the war effort. Within a few weeks, the idea was followed by the United Kingdom, France, and many other countries. Most of them reverted to standard time after World War I, and it wasn't until the next World War that the daylight savings time made its return in most of Europe. Where did it come from? Who invented it? If you think daylight savings time is a good idea, thank New Zealand's scientist, George Vernon Hudson, and the British builder, William Willett. Welcome to the show. was with uh, William Williot in uh, 1895. Hudson presented a paper to the Wellington Society proposing a two-hour shift forward in October and a two-hour shift back in March. There was an interest in the idea, but it was never followed through. In 1905, Independently from Hudson, British builder William Willett suggested setting the clocks ahead 20 minutes on each of the four Sundays in April and switching them back by, by the same amount on each of the four Sundays in September, a total of eight time switches per year. I think twice is enough. And then the first daylight savings bill. Willett's daylight savings plan caught the attention of the British member of parliament, Robert Pierce, who introduced the bill to the House of Commons in February of 1908. 
the first daylight savings bill was drafted in 1909, presented to the parliament several times and examined by select committee. However, the idea was opposed by many, especially farmers, so the bill was never made into law. Mr. Willett died in 1915, the year before the United Kingdom started using the daylight savings time in May 1916. It's not known if he was aware that his idea had become a, rea a reality seven years prior to his death in a small town in Ontario. Pretty interesting. Little facts about how this all came about. And, you know, how, how does it affect people? How does daylight savings time affect you? You know, Sunday morning, do you, do you wake up? Do you feel different? Do you feel tired? You know, you went to bed before midnight. 2 a.m. in the morning, the clocks jumped ahead one hour. How do you how do you feel this morning? Well, I woke up my normal time, which is what I'm thinking my normal time is, you know, around 7 a.m. and here it is 8 a.m. I didn't feel any different. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Is it supposed to make you feel different? Is this something that maybe just plays on people's minds? I mean, some people, I mean, we all sleep differently, right? We, you know, we get um, sleep, sleep uh, deprived, you know, at any time. Some people wake up. 10 times throughout the night, maybe five times throughout the night. Some people sleep right through the night. Some people hardly sleep. But how does that, how does that affect you? Time change means many people have more stress to deal with in an already stressful time. You know, whether, you know, we're in a pandemic or not, I guess, depending on how much stress you have in your life, regardless of the pandemic. So the clocks jump forward in most parts of Canada this weekend, and sleep experts say the ritual will cause more stress for those already tossing and turning at night during the pandemic. Generally speaking, many Canadians are spending more time at home and less time outdoors. Pre-pandemic routines are no longer in place. Thank you for joining me this morning. More and more people are coming on here. Glad to have you. It's all having an effect on how we're living and how we're sleeping. According 
to this assistant professor of the psychology at the University of Ottawa. We're seeing such a high level of people who are having sleep difficulties during the pandemic. Listing insomnia and shifts in sleeping patterns are just some of the issues affecting Canadians and not just Canadians and just other you know parts of the world where this, this time change happens. Everybody has a different sleeping pattern. Within the pandemic context, time shift poses a challenge on top of a challenge. Assuming that they don't live in the Yukon or other regions that don't change their clocks this weekend, we all have to adjust to the time change in addition to feeling fatigued by, by the uh, pandemic era sleep issues. See, not all of Canada changes their clock forward and back. And those changes were, were happening over the over the years and decades where other parts of the country here in Canada decided, no, we're not going to do it. Here in Ontario, Quebec, and other, in other provinces, we've been mauling the idea of not doing the daylight savings standard time changes, but waiting on our counterparts of the United States. I don't see why we even have to wait to see or they agree or they disagree. If we don't want to do the daylight savings time change, then why do it at all? So the Yukon government announced last year that it would ditch the twice a year switch following the public consultations that found a strong majority of respondents supported ending seasonal time changes. That was last year, the Yukon did that. Harsh health outcomes. The time shift was already a challenge for many people before the onset of the pandemic anyway. There's a growing opposition among sleep experts towards the process. The bottom line is that shift twice a year, it doesn't make a lot of sense for our health, for our psychology. As an example, Research has consistently shown that a higher number of traffic collisions and workplace accidents occur on Monday following the annual spring switchover. That's mind-boggling. Higher number of traffic accidents and workplace accidents occur on the following Monday after the time change. It's a pretty well-established phenomenon. 
by what seems like a small change in sleep, like a loss of up to an hour, would have such consequences, but it does. Well, how do we get around that? How do we how do we avoid that? Do we take a nap in the afternoon? Sleep for another hour in the afternoon, just lay down and have a nap? I don't know, because you know, I'm you know, this for as long as I remember, this has never ever affected me. I don't know. I don't feel any different this morning than I did yesterday morning. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. The phenomenon could look a bit different this year due a lot due to a lot more people working at home. But we sure have a lot of people doing that. You know, office buildings right now are, are vacant. Parking lots in those office buildings are vacant. Everybody who worked in those offices are working at home. You know, and that brings a lot of stressors on too, because if you got kids at home that's got to go to school. And, and, you know, when we're on lockdown and they weren't going to school doing the online learning, that's certainly going to bring a lot of stressors into our lives. And not only that, you know, people who are unemployed because of the pandemic, it's going to bring more stressors into their lives, you know, with the daylight saving time change. The shift to daylight time is also associated with some pretty harsh outcomes for people's physical and mental health. There are some indications that there's a surge at the population level in terms of psychiatric admissions, for example, or issues with mental health. How do we adjust to this in terms of tips for adjusting to the time change? Don't fight the adjustment. We recommend setting a schedule, not taking, not taking long naps and sticking to regular sleep times. So if your regular sleep time is 11 p.m., then you go to bed at 11 p.m. And then you get back up at 7 a.m. But in retrospect, it's 8 a.m. But if you're one of those lucky people that get to sleep through the night, you know, um, I pretty much do. You know, I think I would probably get about an average seven and a half hours of sleep on a daily basis. It is important to minimize light exposure 
when winding down the evening, which means thinking about the screens we are staring at, the television. It also includes the tablets, computers, because those are all little lamps. Bring back the books. Bring back the discussion. Or slow paced yoga or whichever kind of peaceful, relaxing activities that you could do in the evening might be especially important now. Like a lot of people like to read before they go to sleep. I can't, but that's something I, I just can't do, right? When I'm going to bed, I'm going to bed because I'm tired. Not going to bed to read a book. And it helps people, but for some people, that helps people fall asleep. And, you know, trying to stay active. Even if we might feel a little bit more tired, doing a bit more exercise during the daytime is a strong signal to adjust to the new timing. Staying active is always good advice, but keeping a constant exercise routine helps with your sleep. Well, we know how difficult that is, right? I mean, how many people, you know, for people who are athletic and stuff like that, and they just love working out and eating right and, and everything else like that. I mean, that's, you know, that's easy, but you know, for some people, you know, working out is a chore. I used to work out many years ago, but, you know, just lost interest in working out. That happens. So interesting little things to help people out with their, with their daylight savings time changes and how to adjust and maybe some things that we could we could try doing. So, you know, relaxing activities that you could do in the evening might, like I said, especially important now than ever. You know, maybe a good hour long sex activity will help you and your partner go to sleep. Try and do whatever you need to do to help, to help uh, go to sleep for the night. Do more activities during the daytime on daylight savings time day, like today. The beautiful sunny morning out here in Southern Ontario, Canada. It's a little bit cool, but that's okay. Go out and do some activities, maybe do some yard work. Go for walks, go for a hike, go shopping, 
wear, wear yourselves out. So nighttime comes and it's bedtime. Hopefully, you get a good night's rest. Some uh, good ideas there. You know, because we drive our automobiles way too often anyway to get to where we're going. But, you know, instead of going to your, your local mall or your local coffee shop or your local grocery store, if you don't live that far away, do you really need the car? Is the grocery store maybe just a block away? Can you not just walk down to the grocery store, get all the stuff you need and carry it home? Some people choose the furthest point. So they're going to jump in the car and they're going to go to the furthest point. Maybe just, maybe because they like to drive, I don't know. But I guess the little things that we can do for ourselves and help ourselves with this daylight savings time and adjusting to it. How we adapt to it. You know, usually probably, probably by the end of the week, you know, we're all caught up. And it's like we, time didn't change. And you find yourself out in the evenings longer because it's daylight longer. And we're halfway through the month of March. I mean, generally around this time or maybe another week, it's usually the March break, but here, in Ontario, the March break is not going to happen. The March break is going to happen in, in uh, April. So I think around the 12th or something like that. So not for another four weeks for the March break in April. And I was talking to my daughter and they um, actually they have um, Easter first. So they get the Easter Monday off, go to school for four days, and then they'll be off for a week. Not bad. I know when I was a kid during March break, we had two weeks off in March. But that changed over the years. Now the kids only get one week off in March. They still get the two weeks off in Christmas at Christmas time. So I guess, you know, the March break was kind of a time of year too, you know, that our bodies adjust to the daylight savings time. So how does it affect you? Do you 
you feel like really tired this morning because the clock jumped ahead one hour? You're going to feel fatigue coming Monday morning, going into work or going to wherever you have to go. Because they say that more traffic accidents happen on the Monday and workplace injuries increase on the Monday. And then the harsh health outcome. I guess maybe we just have to just rethink the way we do things. You know, like what we just talked about here, you know, how to adjust to it. Get into doing more routines. I know it's tough right now, ladies and gentlemen. I know it is. You know, we all have COVID fatigue. You know, I was reading an article yesterday and um, top health officials were saying that, you know, Canada needs another harsh lockdown. And I say the hell we do. We don't need a three-peat because it's already devastating enough. We got vaccines rolling out in, into the arms of people. They, they uh, decided, I think it was last week or the week before, that they were going to extend uh, the second dose for individuals to 16 weeks. Now, people who live in retirement homes and old age homes, um, they will get their second dose as scheduled. But anybody thereafter, and after their first shot in the arm, they'll have to wait 16 weeks for their second shot. So they want to make these decisions, and they're concerned about a third wave. And they want people to wait longer for their second shot. And they think a, a harsher lockdown is more adequate than the last one. Who needs to give their head a shake here? I don't think we the people need to give our, our heads a shake. I think we have sacrificed enough. Here across Canada and here in Ontario, we use what we uh, a color code uh, for uh, reopening, the Ontario Reopening Act, and you can Google that, and you'll find all that information there about the color codes and what they mean, from green to um, yellow, orange, red, and gray, and finally the lockdown, and it just means how many people we can have in restaurants and, and bars and movie theaters, um, in shopping malls, gathering, you know, indoors and outdoors. You know, so we're, going, we're using these color codes. 
And the article was going on to say, even our, our doctor, our top doctor here in Ontario, uh, when asked about a third lockdown, he said it could be a possibility. But they would like to stay on using the color code because they can put the emergency break on at any given time and move a region, for an example, you know, out of yellow and move it into orange. You know, or other places from going orange into the red color code. And the red color code is um, restrict, not control as the orange would be control. So you can always look that up and see what those are on the Ontario Reopening Act. I think we should be following course because it's we, just getting back, I think it's only been like um, three weeks now that, you know, different regions, you know, here in Ontario um, are opening up using the color code depending on case counts and, and everything else, you know, starting, I think in three days, um, Canada is gonna start receiving a million doses a week from Pfizer. And they wanna get more shots into the arm, so that's why they wanna extend the time period between each dose. 16 weeks. I hope they know what they're doing. You know, Pfizer's recommendation is is 21 to 30 days between each dose. That's how the trials were conducted. So then I say, don't come along and say, oh, Canada, you know, or Ontario, Canada, or whatever province they want to talk about and say, oh, no, we need a harsher lockdown this time. What is harsher than what we've already, than all of us already have, have experienced? Last March, we went into lockdown. Uh, for a good, well, three and a half months. And then only going into a lockdown again just after Christmas time. Some parts of the province and, and bigger cities like Toronto, you know, they're in the longest lockdown before Christmas. You know, to talk about that and then throw daylight savings time on your lap. What else they want to throw at us? We've had, you know, case counts, you know, creeping up. You know, just the other day, I think it was Wednesday, 
we had a community outbreak with the university students here in the city of London. 22 of them tested positive for COVID-19. 22 students from the university. That doesn't sit well with the residents here in the city of London. We're quite upset with that taking place. And it's not just students who decide to gather and go to different residents and hang out and not social distance and not wearing masks. Not just the students. Other people who just blatantly disregard the rules and the implications that can have on everybody else. And we certainly don't need a third lockdown. I don't feel that anyways. We have more recoveries than we do have than we do have outbreaks. And like I said, they want to get everybody their first shot and then wait 16 weeks for their second shot just to get more needles in the arms to help move forward. I think, you know, the majority of us, not just here in Canada, around the world, I think we've worked pretty hard. I think we've, we've, we've uh, uh, done our due. But we still have to keep, you know, following, you know, wearing the mask, social distancing, sanitizing our hands. Don't gather in large groups. Don't invite COVID into your home. Then we should be able to move forward. The United States is vac vaccinating like crazy. Canada is going to be ramping it up in the coming weeks. Because we certainly want to have a summer like we did last year. And we certainly don't want to lock down at the end of March or, or even before the end of March. People are, 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 you know, sort of getting back to work. You know, if you're not, um, you know, an, uh, you know, the essential worker, you know, if you're in manufacturing, the trucking industry, or whatever the case may be, you know, you, you've pretty much worked worked through this pandemic. But for those who are classified as non-essential. 
then we're slowly opening up here. They're not getting full-time hours. Might be getting 20 hours, 25 hours. They can still claim their, their EI to help out. But we all just want to get back. We all just want to get back to what we all know, what is normal. Be able to just go out and not have to worry about catching a virus. That's what normal, that's what we know as normal. But we all have to do our part. We still all have to do that. And if we all can just do these little things, wear your mask, social distance, don't gather in large groups. You know, I read stories out there and I watch the news like everybody else does. You have the anti-maskers, you know, they got to go into a store just to make a scene and piss everybody off. I don't even go into that. I don't even, I'm not even going to get into the, in, into that because, you know, it just really irks me. And when I, when, it, when something like that really strikes a nerve with me, you know how hard it is not to use foul language every second word. That's why I don't touch on, on, on those types of topics. Because ladies and gentlemen, you wouldn't tune into my show because every second word would be F and this and F and that. So I like to keep my show clean. I like to keep you on my show. I like to bring you topics that I think that you will, 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 will like. And I thank you for, for coming on my show and listening. I thank you for all the likes. And, um, I'll just keep moving forward as always and, and finding stories and topics that um, I think um, you will like and that you will join me. So for now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll wrap up this episode of the Truckers Podcast. Try to get out there and do some little bit of exercise. Get those body joints moving. 
and uh, maybe you won't feel so tired with this daylight savings time change. Hopefully not. But uh, I will be back out tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m., the Truckers Podcast, morning show, Coffee With You. So if you can join me, that'd be great. If you can, I understand. But my shows will always be up on Podbean and iHeartRadio, Player FM. Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts, you should be able to find the Trucker Podcast. So enjoy the rest of your weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me this morning. Be safe, stay safe, and we will get back together again. And always here on the Trucker's Podcast, where we social. This is the Truckers Podcast. I am your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, ladies and gentlemen, and your week, and thank you.